All right, why don't you stand up and we'll read the Word of God and we will talk about this interesting chapter. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all, and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called <laughs> Hepzibah, which in Hebrew is endearing, and your land Beula, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies, and the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who have gathered it, gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, that is, take them away, lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and he shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Father, you apparently, obviously, are a God of promise, a God of covenants, um, and sometimes the, the covenants and the promises come together, and that seems to be the case with this peculiar <clears throat> people called Israel. And, uh, and Lord, as you know, of course, things are strange these days when it comes to Israel, her identity, her legitimacy, um, and, and her relationship to the promises of God and the text of the word. And Lord, as, as Paul says, these things should be clear to us as your people. And so I pray that as we continue to explore these things that we would have clarity. And um, yeah, so grant that we pray by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I have been thinking and thinking and preparing and engaging with um, various commentary from uh, mostly believers um, on their view of the identity of Israel and their relationship to the promises of God in es eschatology, that is the things related to the end. And um, I've been so disturbed on the kinds of things that I hear that I'm actually preparing something for the whole church. Um, because I'm afraid that even as Paul says in Romans 11 that people in the community of 
the faith are boasting against what he calls, you know, the natural branches, speaking of the, the Jewish people. And, um, and he says, beware of that. But it seems like the church is becoming less and less uh, aware of the danger in that. And her identity is being um, substituted for something else. And it's dangerous. And it's unbiblical. And so I, I, I think I need to address it. And so I'm going to. How many of you guys were here for the, when we did um, Jerusalem, the Covenant City video? A few of you. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I won't be talking about Jerusalem so much, but I will be talking about the identity of um, the people of God, the, what we might say, uh, the, the earthly people of God. So anyway, sound good? All right. Uh, also, I wanted to bring something. Have you guys been following uh, what's been going on in Sudan? Yeah. Anybody? Does anybody know what's going on in Sudan? Yeah, they are killing Christians, but it's not just Christians right now. It's also Muslims fighting Muslims. I knew there was conflict, but I didn't have any idea to the degree. Um, 10 million people have been displaced. How does that go unnoticed by the media? It's interesting, because they're not Jews, or not Palestinians probably, but... Um, and um, now over 10,000 people have been killed. It's very interesting. And um, yeah, it's, it's tragic. The, uh, because of the, how widespread the war is, the, uh, they, they're having a lot of difficulty now getting humanitarian aid in. So they're now pulling uh, all of the people that provide this stuff because it's so dangerous now in the country. And uh, people are fleeing the country uh, there used to be one of the major cities was the last kind of uh, stronghold that was safe for people, but now the city is a war zone. And uh, there's multiple different factions involved. And of course, now there's proxies. Uh, um, Egypt is for one group. The Emirates is for another group. And even Russia. In Russia, what, what are they doing over there? Uh, but it's just a, it's just a tragic thing. And uh, I was just sh shocked at the, the, the magnitude of everything that's going on and nothing is really reported. And um, so anyway, be um, praying. It's not just that. I think it's Pakistan as well where there's uh, thousands and thousands of people being pushed out of. Is it Pakistan? It's Pakistan, right? Being pushed out of the country. And uh, there's the issue, the ongoing issue in uh, Nigeria, what, what it is purely Christians there that... Are, are being murdered and um, yeah it, it's amazing how much human tragedy is you know currently going on and we can just go on with our lives without even we, we don't really even hear about it sometimes all the, the only thing we hear about now is Israel and Gaza and um, which I think is a shame we should be hearing about other things in the world so that we can pray and, and um, yeah alright well let's get into the text here uh, Isaiah 62. Now, the, the prophecy comes in, in sort of an anticipatory prayer. Uh, the, the one praying, uh, as is, is frequent in the book of Isaiah and, and many of the prophets, they're praying according to the, the covenant promises of God uh, regarding the nation of Israel. Okay, so uh, whoever it is, and we'll uh, talk about that a little bit, um, they're looking back to statements that God had made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to um, the tribes, uh, things that came through Moses, 
things that came through David. They're looking at all of these ancient promises and they're crying out to God and saying, when, how, you know what I'm saying? And uh, reflecting on what God has said and saying, when is this going to be fulfilled? Now, it's not clear who is praying in the text. Uh, We'd want to say, because it's in the book of Isaiah, that Isaiah, of course, he's the one that's praying. Uh, But it's possible that it's actually Messiah who is is praying in the text. Remember, he was introduced in the last chapter in Isaiah 61. You know, the spirit of the Lord is is upon me because he's anointed me. And then he continues the conversation uh, or declaration throughout the chapter. Well, this chapter and chapter 61 are really one prophecy. And so I, I get the sense that uh, it's Messiah who is still talking through here and he's pleading uh, with the Trinity, as it were, about the, the final kind of conclusion or destiny for the, the people of Israel. When you, when we, we'll cover verse six uh, later in the chapter, but the, the speaker has uh, stationed watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem to you know, cry out for the city uh, to cry out to God for the sake of the city. Uh, now, could be Isaiah, I suppose, but it seems to be more of an authoritative divine commission because it's not related to the typical things that a watchman is for. It's related to spiritual matters and as the text is talking about. So I kind of get the sense that uh, it's still Messiah that is speaking and now pleading with great anticipation for the nation of Israel. Uh, I suppose as we go through it, something else could come out and we could come to a different conclusion, but there's nothing in the text that would suggest to me that Messiah has stopped speaking and now Isaiah has started. Make sense? Okay, fine. Let's look at it. So he says, for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. So this is for Zion and uh, we've talked about Zion before. Zion, uh, it, it typically means the people of Israel it can mean uh, Jerusalem. It can mean the land of Israel. Uh, but it always has something to do with that piece of real estate and the people to whom it was promised. So for Zion, for Jerusalem, that's their political and religious capital, their sake. And then you notice that Zion and Jerusalem are held in contrast to the Gentiles. Uh, it, your translation might say the nations, it's the same thing. And their kings, that's verse 2. So the speaker is anticipating uh, something very specific for ethnic Israel in contrast to the Jewish world or the non-Jewish world. There's the non-Jews and then there's the Jews. God has something specifically in store for the Jews and it's, it's gonna be so amazing, so radical that the, the nations of the world will see it. It'll be obvious to them. It'll be apparent to them, okay? So the speaker is relentless, he says, for the righteousness and for the salvation of Zion. He can't keep quiet and he can't rest until the righteousness and salvation is is realized. But notice, he's saying that it will be realized globally, globally, okay? 
Now it's important to point out that the salvation of Zion is not the deliverance of God's people from like an, an oppression from a foreign invader or an occupying nation. Uh, th- this is no military or political or physical kind of salvation. Their salvation is related to righteousness, which places their salvation in, in, in a moral or spiritual context. It's on moral grounds. And so what's the deepest need of Israel? Political deliverance or spiritual? Spiritual, that's right. Yeah, we've talked uh, many chapters so far about the political, the national, you know, physical deliverance of Israel. Uh, but now it's spiritual, just as it was in Isaiah 53 and other places. Yeah. But the interesting thing here is that for Israel, the, the issue of, we could say, national, physical, material, that sort of deliverance is all related to their spiritual righteousness. Covenantly, covenantly. You remember, according to God's covenant with Israel, her faith, her, her conduct will, will reap a physical material product, right? If they rebel against the covenant, God will bring all the curses upon them. But if they're faithful, if they're loyal to God, trusting him, then God, they will reap blessing from God. So it's all related for them. If Israel was, was suffering calamity, famine, military invasions, it was because they were idolatrous, they were immoral, they were something. But you know, this amazing material blessing had to do with Israel being faithful to the covenant of God, okay? So according to the expectation of the speaker, Zion, Israel will be renewed spiritually and morally. And he says, so much so that the nations of the world with their leaders are going to see it. It's going to be this objective reality, this spiritual transformation, okay? Now, we often mention that many of the, the things prophesied by Isaiah and, and many of the other prophets, they haven't yet taken place. Well, either that's a problem because God doesn't actually know the future, or we're anticipating the future fulfillment of those things. Amen? I mean, we, we have to believe uh, that as God has been faithful to his word in the past, he's going to be faithful to it in the future, right? So... This is not yet fulfilled, okay? But it is to be fulfilled, yeah. On that day, it'll be amazing. All the world will see it. All the world's eyes will be on Israel. Does Israel have the attention of all the nations of the world right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the prophets actually said in the last days, uh, Israel would be a problem for the world, that their eyes would be on Israel, that they they would hate Israel. Uh, But... Following that, there's going to be a time where the world looks to Israel. Right now, they have contempt for them as a nation, as a people group. Um, Anything they do is condemned. Um, I was looking at the, um, it's not Twitter anymore, it's it's X, right? And is it Guterres, the UN um, director or whatever he is? He's, He's texted out or tweeted out one time in reference to Sudan. He's the UN chief a hundred times about the Israeli-Palestinian issue in the last, I think, week. Isn't that interesting? The, the, the numbers, the sheer numbers are exponentially more in Sudan, the human suffering and all of that. So all eyes are on Israel, but right now it's, it's out of contempt, okay? But when they repent, 
they turn to Christ, the Lord is gonna provide his righteousness. It's going to transform those people and it will come out to the world like a light, okay? Be radical. And then because of the change, a new name from the Lord will be appropriate. So just like in the scriptures, uh, Abram was changed to Abraham, right? Jacob was changed to Israel. And it had to do with transformation. And so the transformation is gonna be so radical that they'll, it'll be like they'll need a new name. He says, you shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, um, it's pronounced very differently in Hebrew, but uh, Hepsavan, and your land uh, Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. I don't know, in English, none of those sound very endearing, do they? Don't name your daughters these names, okay? Yeah. So Zion, because of her idolatry, her immorality, her profanity, because of her unbelief, uh, they have, at the time of Isaiah, and of course, leading up to the Babylonian captivity, they were just an offense to God. But the day's coming when they will be renewed through Christ, and as it says here, they become this, this deep object of affection of the Lord. Their relationship to God will be restored, They'll become a glory to him. Uh, they'll once again become this cherished object in his hand, like a crown or a, a, a beautiful diadem. In the text here, she'll no longer be like a wife who is despised and forsaken and then abandoned by her husband and left to fend for herself. Now, in the ancient Middle East culture, to be abandoned by your husband left you desolate, especially if you had no family. And uh, she, as what has been termed, especially by Jeremiah, the wife of God, to be, to be pushed away, to be abandoned, left her completely desolate. But he's saying that she'll no longer be like that kind of a woman, but instead she'll be called a married woman. That is um, um, Beula, a married woman, whom her husband then finds great delight that's the word, um, uh, where's the other word? Hepsibah, to be delighted in. He delights in her, his wife. She'll be married, she'll be delighted in, okay? Um, now also, it shouldn't be overlooked that Israel's spiritual restoration means full restoration to her land. You see the land keeps mentioned, keep, is always mentioned in there because Israel's faithfulness, uh, it's always it has this, um, this renewal, this restoration of the land. Remember, the, the land promises were some of the original promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to the rest of the Jews. And they could always enjoy the land in their faithfulness. But if they were rebellious and idolatrous and all these other things, they could expect to be disciplined, either in the land or removed from the land. But because there's this restoring, this spiritual restoration, her land is restored to her, and as we've seen already in Isaiah, the land will bud, fill the, the earth with fruit. All this blessing comes out of it, yeah. He says, for as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over 
you. Now it says the sons of Israel will, will pursue Israel like a young man, his virgin bride. Now the first part of the passage seems to illustrate you know, loyalty among God's people. They'll be attracted to their own nation. You see that? They'll marry in, as it were. They'll be united to, yeah. Subsequent, following the redemption, just be this deep, intimate camaraderie among them. Uh, have you guys, do you ever look into the way that Jews are today? It's fascinating. So I've mentioned before that most Jews are secular or non-religious. That's most Jews. Of course, we see in the media, we see uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox in Israel. Some of them we see in like New York. You'll find them in Russia, uh, parts of Europe. And we get this idea that even today the Jews are a religious people as far as Judaism is concerned, but they're not. They're not. Israel, the Jews, are completely divided. There are Jews who are anti-Israel. Have you seen some of that in the media? They're pro-Palestinian. And this is some of the strange irony is the, the people in southern Israel that were uh, attacked on October 7th, those were progressive Jews. These are the ones that were actually in favor of Palestine and they were murdered by the Palestinians. It's very sad, um, very sad. But there are anti-Israel Jews that are pro-Palestinian. Uh, there's religious and secular Jews. There are liberals and there are conservatives. There's just all these factions within the Jews of the world right now. They're a very divided people. Uh, the, the government of Israel, if you've been watching that the last few years, it's like watching the circus here. Okay, it's just, it's just so sad and, and, and bizarre. But when God recovers his people, they're going to be completely united. They'll be loyal to each other. It, it will fulfill kind of the, the sentiment of King David in Psalm 133.1 when he says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. <clears throat> and he knew all about disunity, didn't he? It's crazy. So God, it says, will rejoice in his unified and godly people. What a transformation. He says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him, that is God, no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Yeah. So in the same spirit as, you know, verse one, remember for the sake of Jerusalem, for the sake of Zion, okay, uh, concerning their righteousness, their salvation. So here it's for the sake of Zion that he has placed watchmen on the city walls that the city walls of Jerusalem. They're, they're, they're stationed there, as the verse says, to make this perpetual mention of the Lord until, until he establishes Jerusalem as this, this object, this headquarters of praise throughout the planet. That'll be an interesting change of affairs, won't it? Yeah. Now, normally watchmen, you know, they set their gaze outward looking for, you know, any danger, any threat to the city. But these men aren't looking for physical danger. They're there crying out for the spiritual restoration of Israel by, by constantly, day and night, without rest, calling upon the Lord. And they're to cry out so loudly, so relentlessly, that God won't be able to rest. It's like the woman in Jesus' parable that goes and she pesters the judge, and pesters the judge, pesters the judge, until he grows weary of her you know, talking about this issue and just grants her request. 
You know, they're saying just don't let God rest, as it were, until he fulfills the promises of redemption to them, till he makes Jerusalem the object of global adoration. When has Jerusalem ever been the object of global adoration? Now, there was a time where Jerusalem had some regional, but that was before Isaiah. That was during the time of Solomon, right? David, Jerusalem was not that honored with David because he was still killing a lot of people. He was crushing the enemies of Israel in that whole region, right? But then after he had, you know, secured peace for Israel, then Solomon was born and ascended the throne and he just enjoyed all the work that his father had done and then he had built this reputation because of his wisdom and so people you know, they flocked to Jerusalem to see the, the, the beauty of the city and to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But Isaiah is talking about something yet to come, where it's not going to be regional, but it's going to be all of the nations. It's going to be a global thing. All eyes, as we said, are on Jerusalem right now, but not because they adore her. Okay? They loathe Israel. They condemn her existence. Now, <clears throat> you know, just try to imagine what would be required for the the tone of the whole planet to change in regard to the state of Israel and her capital. I think there's only one way for that to happen. To fulfill the promise of 2 Samuel 7 and of what the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1. Christ will have to return. He'll have to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem and he'll have to reign over the planet. I, I, I can't think of anything else that could so radically change what you know, we call now the narrative. You know what I'm saying? The Lord will have to return. He'll have to establish praise throughout the world. And that will definitely be a change of pace. Verse 8 and 9. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give your grain as food for your enemies. And the sons of the foreigner shall not drink your new wine for which you have labored. But those who have gathered, gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. So when God swears, when he makes an oath, when he makes a promise, are there any conditions in the text? No, this is unilateral. It's completely unconditional. God says, I have, I have sworn by my right hand. Okay, by my arm. So this is going to happen. So it's crazy. Never again will he allow Israel to be plundered. Okay? They'll never again be a vassal state. Uh, they'll never again pay tribute to a foreign power. They will be the consumer of their own products. It's not happened yet. Not quite. Okay? This will be realized when the rest of the context is fulfilled. Okay? All of the prophecy. Now... Israel was actually plundered uh, within about a century after this prophecy was given in Isaiah 62, where they were taken into captivity for 70 years in Babylon, and those who remained in the land had to give tribute. They became essentially a vassal state within a state to Babylon. Following their captivity there, uh, they returned, of course, to, to Israel, and then they were plundered by who? The Greeks, by Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes. And then after him, we had the Maccabees. They, the, the Maccabeans crushed that. And then the Hasmoneans appeared. But then the Romans came. And then Israel was placed under the Pax Romana. 
the, the, the peace of Rome. That means everything will be peaceful if you obey everything we say. They gave taxes to Rome. They sent grain and wine to Rome. They, they were under their thumb. In 70 AD, of course, Rome crushed the Jews. Uh, that was the big one, but then there was another uprising in 120 AD. That was the rebellion of Bar Kokhba. The Romans again crushed it. And, and so from that time, of, for about 2,000 years now, they've been d- displaced from Israel. Now, we know that Israel, of course, has repatriated the land. They declared their sovereignty on May 14th, 1948. They currently have one of the best economies on the planet, which is amazing, okay? They are enjoying their own produce, but they are not completely independent. Most of, like right now, most of their munitions come from us, come from us. If it wasn't for our supply chain to Israel, they would be out of ammunition and that would be very problematic for them. They are still a dependent state. They're not a vassal state, but certainly what God is saying here has not come to pass. But the time is coming when they'll, they'll enjoy full independence and then become the praise of all the earth. The earth will look to them. So it, who, whoever's praying, I think it's Messiah. He says, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, because I actually think that Messiah is reigning Uh, in the context of all this. So he says, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. What's happening is, when when this all is being fulfilled, Jerusalem and Israel is gonna have to increase their infrastructure. Because as as the eschatology, uh, the eschaton unfolds, all of the Jews come back to Israel. Well. Immigration can be a serious problem, okay? Yeah. They're gonna see immigration that's gonna be an exponential increase and imagine what Jerusalem will be like during the feasts when all of the, the earth Jews live back in the land. The majority of all Jews still actually live outside of Israel. Only 46% live in the land. So imagine, an, okay, it's the size of New Jersey and nine million people, that's over double the population increases in Israel, you're gonna to have to change the infrastructure. The highways are gonna to have to look different, okay? There's just gonna to have to be more stuff. They're gonna to have to make preparations uh, for that kind of increase in population. It's gonna be crazy. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Your salvation is coming. It's not now, not in the days of Isaiah, but it's, it's coming. Some texts here, it says, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That comes from Romans 11. That's uh, 700 years later than Isaiah where Paul is actually, he's perpetuating the prophecies of old and he's pushing their fulfillment further into the future. Isn't that crazy? So it's just a matter of time and then they will be endowed with all the benefits of God's promise. Uh, Paul, when he said this, he's quoting from Isaiah 59 and Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, all of this sentiment that God is going to uh, take away the sins of, of Israel, of Judah. Verse 12, and they shall... 
call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So at the time that Zion becomes the praise of the earth, the, the world will declare that the redeemed of Israel are the holy people. They will be the redeemed of the Lord. So Israel's redemption is going to elicit praise from the global community because of the transformation. And Jerusalem will become like this desired destination to all the world. Not a forsaken city, but the city to be desired. Now I, I've told you many times, I don't think that we've seen the, the complete you know, fulfillment of any of these prophecies, but it seems like for some people, you know, there's this temptation to think that it's a progressive fulfillment just because of so many crazy things that we've seen. But I think it's interesting that Israel will be all of that to the world. And right now, all of the, the stuff in the region seems to be falling apart. It's crazy. So many things around Israel is a heap of rubble while Israel prospers. You guys ever seen Damascus, like images of Damascus prior to the war in Syria? It was a Hollywood hotspot. Yeah, you can go online, you can find pictures of, of Brad Pitt there and all kinds of people from Hollywood just touring Damascus, uh, specifically the old city. Now, it, Damascus was this, this stunning city. It maintained much of its ancient beauty. It's considered the oldest uh, continuously habitated city on the planet. So this ancient culture, how many of you guys are into uh, metallurgy, knives and stuff? It's where Damascus steel came from. It's the most beautiful metal for, you know, for craft work, knives in the world. It's just gorgeous stuff came from there. Probably it came from there by accident. But the art, the architecture, the, the markets there, the culture, it was, just, it was once this sought after destination, but it, is, it has suffered just amazing loss Israel dropped a bomb in Damascus the other day because of all of the violence toward them from, from there. But it's a dangerous place to be. I thought, well, I'll look at, at Wiki Travel and see what they say. They say travel to Syria, including Damascus, is discouraged in the strongest possible means. The single best way and the most effective way is to immediately get out of Syria if possible. Yeah. The surrounding nations, as we know, they're, they're really under the curse of Islam, which continues to you know, destroy culture, to oppress people, hinder progress in medicine and technology, and it influences hate and violence across the whole world. That's the curse of Islam. Um, how many of you guys have read the Hadith? It's the, the traditions of Islam. We commonly think that there's one book in Islam, the Quran. There's not. There's the Quran, there's the Hadith, there's the example of Muhammad. And the Hadith is just a viciously violent book. And it's, it was essentially the conduct of Muhammad and the, the tradition that the Muslims should fulfill. It's insane. The whole world, the whole region around Israel is a mess. So Israel, though, though not redeemed, is really, even now, is a light in the Middle East. She's innovative, she's prosperous, she's benevolent. Most people don't understand that a, any Palestinian child can get free heart surgery in Israel. It's amazing. They're the most, one of the most technologically and medical advanced uh, places in, on the planet. They're just so innovative. But all that they have right now, all of their, their good economy, all that, it's nothing compared to what it'll be like when she returns to the Lord as Paul prophesied that she would even in Romans 11. It's gonna be crazy. Yeah. And at that time, 
uh, we will be tied in to the, the consummation of all things. So you should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Yeah. All right, well, next week is Isaiah 63. Um, it is one of the most violent, uh, bloody books, uh, chapters in all of scripture. It's about the administration of Messiah's wrath in defense of his people. Not next Thursday, I'm sorry. It'll be the second Thursday in, in January. Thank you, Connie. That's right, there's no service next week. Um, but it's what he, he has to do at his second coming in order to establish peace on the earth. <clears throat> and we'll be looking at all the parallel passages in the book of Revelation. So you're welcome to read ahead if you're that kind of person. And um, we'll talk about it then. So it'll be the exercise and administration of, of, of perfect justice. And it's not, it's not always pretty. So go ahead and stand up and we'll pray. And Sunday is Christmas Eve.